Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is JT Tran, also known in the media as the Asian Playboy. JT's head of ABCs of Attraction, a Los Angeles-based dating and pickup coaching company where he teaches men a step-by-step process on how to become a master seductionist. Some of his specialties include helping men break racial stereotypes, build inner confidence, and develop a better sense of style and fashion. He's been featured on ABC's Nightline, NBC, LA Weekly, and New York Magazine. JT, we're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me. JT, I know you've been at this for a long time. Can you tell me a little about your background and how you got into this? Yeah, sure. I think my background is very relatable to a lot of guys out in the audience because I'm a late bloomer. I kissed my first girl at the age of 20 uh, because basically I was completely clueless. I did everything that you know your parents are supposed to tell you. Get good grades, go to college, get a good job. But still, like at the age of 20, I had never been on a single date. And bless her heart, this basically tall, kind of blonde, blue-eyed girl found me attractive. For whatever reason, she thought I was hot and decided that I was going to be, you know, the guy that she wanted to date in, in college. So, yeah, I was completely clueless. And, and bless her that she found me, the skinny, short Asian guy, attractive. My first kiss was about as awkward. I, the first girl that I ever kissed was a girl I took to prom. And she literally, I was hanging out at her house. She asked me to kiss her 20 times. And I, uh, I, I had to go home and think about it because I, I just couldn't, I, I like, I couldn't do it. It was just too much for me. And I we went had home. to make a list of pros and cons. <laughs> exactly. And the next day I came, I came back to her house. Um, I thought, I thought I had thought about it. Uh, she asked, asked me, asked me probably three more times. And then finally I kissed her and, uh, that was my first, my first kiss. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least you had a date for prom. I went with like a bunch of my guy friends. <laughs> that was pretty sad. <laughs> well, it happens. My guess is that you've made it up since then. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that was the entire point, you know. <laughs> no, that's great, man. So tell me a little bit about the kind of guys that you work with. I know you definitely have some specialties. My company, ABCs of Attraction, we're an independent company, and we do specialize in helping Asian men. That's not exclusively, but because of who I am being like a short Asian guy that a lot of people, you know, that come from that same background find me very relatable because I've been through the same things that they've been through. I mean, it's one thing to learn the game from like a tall, six foot tall, good looking white guy. And it's another thing to learn it from me being like five foot five and average looking. Like I've been like rejected because I was Asian. I've been called races names, you know, as a kid. So I can relate and I can understand where they come from. Can you talk even a little more about what are some of the things that make being Asian or being a minority, why game is different? Yeah, there are a lot of kind of factors that come into play, both, you know, internally as well as externally. Like externally, you know, stereotypes do exist. Um, Not every woman have them, obviously. But, you know, they're out there. And then, like, internally, we start to believe in, like, these stereotypes or we start to, you know, develop these limiting beliefs. And a lot of the things that hold, you know, Asian men back is they can't break out of that. They can't break through that kind of cultural barrier that maybe their parents and culture have inflicted on them saying, you know, 
you don't talk to girls until you're like 28 and you've got a career or they have to break through those limiting beliefs that are inside their head. Like I always used to have them when I, you know, younger and it took me a long time for me to defeat them. You know, being, I always thought that being short, you know, tall girls wouldn't like me, um, not being handsome, girls wouldn't like me, being Asian, girls wouldn't like me. So it takes a while and, and a lot of our issues are more internally based. Although there are definite external factors, like I do teach, like I would say like a third of my students are ESL, where English is their second language. So trying to teach them pickup routines and lines is completely useless. That there has to be a you know totally separate strategy for those guys. Okay, we could start there. What are some of the things that you do when you're working with a guy who English is a second language? Well, there is one language that is universal that everybody understands, regardless of you know what language you speak and regardless of what continent you live on, and that's body language. Everybody understands that you know you know regardless of culture. And there are multiple studies that show that nonverbal communication is more important than verbal communication. Like the numbers tend to you know vary, but in, they all say body language is more important than what you say. Um, because women read, you know, read you on multiple levels. I think that, you know, they, they absorb like your communication on like five different levels. Um, and not simply just what you say, not simply like the words that come out of your mouth. So, you know, techniques that I teach my students are what I call like the walk of con and the keynote turn. Like the walk of con is like how you move, how you look, how you walk, like the speed by which you do that. And then the actual keynote turn where you go up to a girl and you get her attention. Uh, it's not like grabbing her. I don't want guys to think that's like a way of manhandling her. It's just a way of getting her attention where you go up, you reach up, and you touch her shoulder, and you turn her to you in a very kind of non-creepy manner. And there's no more force than is used by, let's say, if you put your pinky, you press your pinky on your other hand, that's as much force as you use. And the idea is to establish some you know, kinesthetic bond, but primarily just to get her attention. And, you know, she looks at you, she turns to you, and like in that seven seconds you have, you establish a very solid first impression. And through the use of like your body language, your facial expressions, and your tonality, and then finally the words that come out of your mouth. I'm going back to this touch strides that you use, I'm trying to visualize it. So are you, do you have one hand on her shoulder? Do you have two hands on her shoulder? Are you leading her by her hand, like how, how are you? Yeah, let's, you know, let's say it's, um, she's faced away from you. She's at the bar and you're walking up to her, right? And you simply place, let's say your left hand on her right shoulder and you turn her around, um, just like the palm of your hand on the top of her shoulder. And again, you're not trying to cop a feel or anything like that. You're just trying to get her attention. It's like what, you know, like your friend might come up to you and like tap you on the shoulder, you know, to, to make you turn to him. And that's all you're doing. And the way, the way that works is it, it is a little bit dominant, sure. But again, you're not doing it in a, in a creepy manner. She turns to you, and then you can get her undivided attention. And it absolutely works. It absolutely works. Like a lot of studies have shown it. And more than that, I've seen thousands of my students do that who are like short and not typically dominant. But they do that, and the woman turns around and just starts talking. So kind of basically the arm is extended out, has – like his, he has his like hand on, or his like thumb on her collarbone and kind of that, the hand on the top of her shoulder, almost over her back and just kind of turns her a little bit towards, towards him. Is that what you're describing? Right, right. Again, I mean, imagine like 
in partner dancing, how instinctively women will turn when her male partner kind of, you know, subtly presses her on the hip like one way or the other and then she automatically do, does that. I mean, that's essentially what you're doing, but just simply on the shoulder, which is a very platonic, very safe area to touch a girl. Yeah, generally we tell people from their fingers to their shoulders in our society is normally the way you touch somebody when you first meet them. Mm-hmm. You shake their hand, you put your, shake their hand, put your hand on your shoulder, you tap their shoulder. I think this is all great stuff. And the other thing I like here is this connection that you have. And not only do you have a physical connection with somebody, but at the same time, it sounds like you're holding eye contact and you're having a direct visual connection uh, from eye to eye and as a result, emotional connection. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, with a lot of my students where they are not fluent in English, they have to convey so much with their body instead of the words. Actually, let's talk more about that body language because, um, as you said, body language is such an important element of this. And based on a lot of studies, it's just way more than even what you say. And so many guys constantly are focused on that, right? They're like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? What are some of the elements for guys who want to have stronger body language? Because as you described, if a guy is 5'5", five, 5'2", five, five, uh, whatever, he's not going to be ever be the tallest guy in the room. But, I mean, he could probably have the biggest personality. So how does he extend... How does he take up more space and use his body language to have that massive presence? Yeah, it's what I call that command presence, the ability to exude like your confidence outside of your own body. There's something that I call, like I said, like the walk of con. It's how you stand tall. You're, you're elongating yourself to your, your most natural tallest height. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit difficult to explain all this just through audio. Mm-hmm. But imagine like, if there was a string attached to your spine that pulled you up to the ceiling, right? Um, like throwing your shoulders back, chin up, making solid eye contact, you know, a wide stance with your legs. It, it's basically like the speed of, of how you move because if you're very jittery, um, it will come off as anxious and nervous. And all this comes into play. And for some guys, it's like, well, that seems a lot to remember. Um, just think of this kind of like analogy. You know, a table has four legs to keep it steady. You know, just because you do one or two things wrong doesn't mean that you know, you're going to be blown out with her. Um, but the more things you do wrong, you know, the more less legs that you have to stand on. So if you're able to convey all this uh, with your body and your tonality, and the way you speak and the way you don't speak, the better off you'll be with her. I'm completely following you. So the guy walks up, he walks like Khan. <laughs> he goes up, he, he does kind of the touch thing. He gets her talking to him. Any thoughts on first things to say that will lead him in, out of the friend zone into ecstasy? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the, the things that I teach my students is like what I call like the direct opener, like a kamikaze opener. And... I had this one student, it was like the first time I, ever, I was ever being followed by a reporter from Asian Week, and they had a photographer, and we were in New York, and we're at this rooftop bar called Hotel Gonzavor. Great place, right? Lovely view, overlooking the New York skyline, you know, very, very attractive people. And I see this six-foot-tall blonde off in the distance. So I grab my closest student, and I tell him, I want you to go over there and, you know, tell her she's beautiful. Just go direct. Just tell her she's beautiful. And it, lo and behold, the first student that was closest to me was this five foot nothing Singaporean student with like this heavy Singaporean accent. He's like, yeah. He's like, okay. I was like, <laughs> I, already, <laughs> I, was like, I already like him. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, like I did not plan this out by any measure. He just happened to be the closest student. 
So he's like marching over there in all of his five foot nothing glory, right? And the photographer sees it, says, huh, I wonder what's happening. So he starts following, he starts taking pictures. I'm like, face palm, like, oh no. <laughs> and he goes up to her, her back is turned, and he has to go on his tippy toes. Like, that's how <laughs> wide the difference is. And he reaches up. Right, it was a little, you know, hand, and he and he touches her shoulder and does a keynote turn. Turns around, she looks, you know, first she looks like eye height, right? And he's not there, so she looks <laughs> down, like a foot down. And this is literally what he says. He says, "You are fucking beautiful." <laughs> nice. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, if you were to open that that magazine, you know, there's there's me on the front cover. I'm talking. Um, and then, you know, you go open the article, there's me talking to girls, there's pictures of me and, you know, the article. And then there's a picture in the corner of my five foot nothing Singaporean student sitting down with a six foot tall, attractive blonde, holding her hand, cell phone out, getting her number. I always tell my students, especially if you are classically not good looking, whether you're Asian or you're just skinny or you're bald, if you're not the classic good looking type, Work with direct game because what you're doing is you're interrupting her heuristic thinking, which is like the mental shortcuts that we take when we come to like some sort of decision that we want to do in like, you know, um, in split second. And so, you know, let's be realistic. A five foot guy is probably not going to be able to date a six foot tall girl. Does it happen? Sure. But that's the exception rather than the rule. And the same thing with like someone who is obviously of a different culture. You have to be exceptional. You have to be different, right? And by going direct, you make her think of you as a romantic partner as opposed to, oh, he seems like a nice little foreigner guy, right? That's, I mean, that's a perfect transition. I want to ask you a bunch of stuff about uh, kind of your strategies for direct game. But before I do that, I think I need to probably follow the natural flow of the conversation, talk a little bit about breaking stereotypes, right? Because... That's really such an important component of seduction. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, there are obviously some positive archetypes that Asians fall into. We're educated, financially stable, family-oriented. And then there are like the negative stereotypes, um, like not being sexual or, or not being very masculine and that we're effeminate. And so the great thing about direct game is it flies in the face of those negative stereotypes. So if you were to imagine, like, you know, if you're a pie chart, right, and a girl looks at you, there are certain things that are going to be filled in. Like, if she looks at me, she's going to, you know, look uh, and sort of unconsciously assume that I might have a good job, I'm educated, and me going direct and me kind of keynoting and taking control and having, you know, that sexuality, trying to exude that masculinity, she's going to fill in the blank of being, okay, you know, he's, he's actually sexual, um, He's good with women, things like that. And so that's one of the primary reasons I teach direct to my students because it is there to destroy and fight stereotypes that she may or may not have, right, unconsciously. Such a good point and such a, a valuable thing for the people who are listening because we all fit into stereotypes, right, tons of them. And some of them hurt us, some of them help us. It might be your ethnicity, and it depends on the target. It depends on the, the girl that you're interacting with. If the last, for example, if you're Asian and the last, uh, her last boyfriend was Asian and she had awesome sex, you're probably in good shape. But Absolutely. Like for those <laughs> girls, I can close them nine times out of 10, right? <laughs> but they're, they're so rare. Like 90, I would say like 90% of the girls I've ever dated, they're, I'm like their first Asian. So 
I mean, it's great, but it moves even beyond ethnicities. It moves into professions, right? So for example, if you are a firefighter, you want to wear your, your fire hat out to the bar, it probably is not going to hurt you. If you are a, I mean, there's a lots of kind of different professions, uh, but like things like, for example, somebody says, and a lot of guys have more technical jobs, but you say, uh, I'm a, I'm a programmer. Certain women, it's not that women don't find there aren't sexy programmers in our society. It's just a lot of, there, especially with this whole startup scene exploding uh, over the last, like as it right. continues to evolve. But well, the, well, there are certain professions that are sexual and then certain professions that are, have no sexual value whatsoever. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. So it's just so important. I mean, this is a great point. You want to break, if you're in it, you have stereotypes that are helping you, you want to use them to the fullest potential. Uh, and if you have something that might be inhibiting you with a particular type of woman, you want, it's so important that you break them. And I think this idea that you're talking about, especially with Asian guys about kind of going direct, um, I, like I can see why you teach it and why it makes sense. One of the other questions I had was even about the idea of kind of moving things sexual. In this case, you're talking about moving things direct by telling a girl, Hey, I think that you're beautiful, but there's a, there's a long lot of steps uh, between the rooftop of the Gansevoort and your bedroom. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> so how do you, depending on where you live, I mean, if you live in the Gansevoort, it might be on one of the other floors, but for right. the, most of the rest of us, what are the next steps that you teach in this process of seduction? Right, right. Well, I, I teach, you know, the ABCs of attraction, and our system is just A, B, C, D, E, F, uh, where, you know, each component, you know, it has inner game, outer game, and verbal game. So when you approach, that's essentially A and B, you know, the approach, attraction, bantering. And then C is that compliance and that comfort. You're gaining her compliance as well as building up kind of like a verbal comfort. And while I'm talking, I will basically compliance test her. I will start to move her around um, because to me, like momentum is life, stillness is death. I'm not simply going to stand at the bar talking to her. For me to know if I'm in the, you know, taking a step in the right direction and going to comfort is to sit down with her. So my first effort uh, after approaching her is I'm going to move her. I'm going to physically move her to sit down. And by gaining her compliance, I am also becoming dominant, which is like the next step of D. You know, because she, you put her in the frame of her being feminine and you masculine and her submissive and you're dominant um, and you're the leader and she's a follower, it becomes easier to move her around as she takes that frame and she starts basically doing what you ask her to do, right? And so you're talking, but you're also physically um, talking as well. So whatever conversation you have, it will change when you sit down. I'm sure you've noticed this. Like when you're standing up at the bar, you're probably having a good time. You're laughing. But when you sit down, the conversation, the tenor changes. It becomes, you know, probably a little bit more softer. You can talk a little bit more about sensitive subject, like deeper level rapport with her. And it's hard to do that way if you're like standing like in the middle of the dance floor at the bar and getting shoved around. But if you're isolated with her and you're sitting down with her, you can get a lot more emotionally and physically intimate with her. I mean, you talked a little bit about movement. Um, can you talk to us about some of the strategies that you would use in order to to kind of move a girl so that you can get in a situation where you're alone and trying to build comfort? Yeah, absolutely. If she's with her girlfriend, I'll use a keynote turn again, right? So I use a keynote turn just to get her attention for the initial approach, but also use it later so that slowly I'll sidestep to the side so that she no longer faces her girlfriend and 
once out of sight, out of mind. There's no kind of girl coding going on. She turns her back to her girlfriend, which is a, you know, in that way, you're sort of like hijacking that signal. Because if you, you know, any girl is to like block out her girlfriends, what does that typically mean? It means like, hey, I like this guy. Don't, you know, you girls better not cunt punt me because I want to talk to him, right? And um, so, you know, turn her, I will just pretend sometimes that it's like really crowded, right? Like guys and girls are bumping into each other, into us. And I'll just be like, oh my God, it's, this is like rush hour here. Let's scoot over. And as I'm talking, I will just slowly take control. I'll just slowly move her. And then at a certain point, you know, I will simply direct her to sit down. It's the idea of it's better to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. I'll say something simply as, hey, my feet hurt. Let's go sit down, you know, or, um, you know, I could totally do it for a drink. Let's go to the bar. I'll, I'll just, you know, or I want to smoke. Let's go to the patio and sit down, right? Whatever it is, I'll just make an excuse and I'll lead, right? And by that time, if I'm having, if I've created comfort, if I've brought the comfort and she's getting used to my touch, she's getting used to my level of like dominance and compliance, she'll follow. It makes me think of a few things. One, we used to have this guy who uh, I used to work with, and this is years ago. And one time we were out, and he told told me he said, "You know, uh, I took a step back, and she took she took a step forward, and so I took another step back, and she took another step forward." And and he goes, "I thought about just doing this all the way home, <laughs> but, <laughs> like leaving but, little breadcrumbs." Yeah, but he, <laughs> but uh, he was. Uh, I mean, he was obviously kidding. But I I think that there's so many things that you're doing right here. Even things as simple as telling her where you're going to take her and then leading her there, right? As opposed to just gra- guys are like, I'm going to move her, so they grab by their arm and try to yank her, and it free- and it freaks women out because the reality is you're leading her, you're being dominant. But she's also choosing to follow. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's the idea behind compliance is I want her to say yes. If I ask her to do something, I want her to say yes. Now, there are ways to phrase it, you know, in order to get, you know, a higher probability of success, like giving an excuse. They've done multiple studies is that if you just give any kind of excuse, you're more likely to be successful. Um, When you just... Caveman, I mean, that has its place. That's a way of kind of pumping her up maybe like sexually um, because women, like some women, especially like that level of dominance, but that's not compliance. And I might not do that really early on unless she's like already receptive. At this point, I'm just getting her to say yes. Like, yes, I will move. Yes, I will sit down. Yes, I will do this um, for him because the biggest compliance test that we're looking for essentially from a woman is, you know, yes, I will sleep with you. Right. And that's the idea behind compliance is I want her to basically say yes to everything that I want her to do. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, 
If you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma Live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about this idea of going caveman, what, what that means? Yeah, like cavemaning is a great thing. Like I do cavemaning a lot. Uh, it has its time and place. Um, it, you know, on one hand, as a technique, it forces guys to be more sexual and to take charge, especially when they're not used to taking charge. But on the other hand, it can be um, a double-edged sword because, you know, some guys take it too far, they're uncalibrated with it, and it becomes like too douchebaggery, right? And it, and it becomes too aggressive. Um, but like caveman would be like me picking up a girl, like literally picking up a girl in my arms. And I do that quite a bit. And women don't expect that, right? Being five foot five, I picked up girls that are like six foot tall. And I've had girls that told me like later on in bed, like they were just turned on by that. Like, you know, they kind of expect it from a bigger guy. And when I do it, I just take charge and I, and I carry them or I move them. Um, and so that's one thing that I'll do. Or maybe I'll sit down and at that point, you know, she's followed me and then I might caveman her into my knee, right? I might pick her up and just put her on my knee, right? Um, and there are different ways to caveman, but my um, maneuver of picking her up in my arms and, you know, that's one of my go-to ones. People, people often ask me, what is the secret of picking up women? And I usually tell them to have a lower center of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but I mean, more seriously, how, how do you, how, or how does a guy in this case, um, who's listening, know when he should kind of go caveman or not? Like, what are the signals that it might be a good time to physically assert himself? Well, I think, guys, we want to know for sure that she's giving the green lights. Um, and so we're on the lookout for what we call like indicators of interest or IOIs. And there are a whole host of IOIs. But one thing I learned is that, especially for me, I don't get a lot of IOIs. In a lot of cases, I don't get any IOIs, um, simply because, you know, I don't have enough of that sort of classic good look that women are just shooting them off at me. So I've learned not to depend upon them. Um, and so what I do is the more compliance tests that she passes, the more likely I am able to kiss her. So I'll do like general compliance tests. So if I test like three general compliance tests and she passes them, I'll start to sexually compliance tests, right? And if she passes all my sexual compliance tests, then I'll go for a kiss. Because at that point, I've built it up and everything she's done, she hasn't had to say yes to anything, like, like verbally say yes, but she's doing what I want her to do. And the more likely she is doing all that, the more likely she is to kiss. Can you talk about some specific general compliance tips? I know we've already talked a little bit about it, but maybe just define them so people who have never heard that term kind of know exactly what you mean. And then also some sexual compliance kind of strategies. Right. I mean, you know, compliance test in, you know, in general is just you're indicating verbally or physically what you want her to do. Maybe you ask her to buy you a drink. She buys your drink. I mean, she's spending money on you, right? Um, and so on and so forth. There are, you know, anything you ask her to do, and she does it, that's a compliance test. Sexual is a little bit different in the fact that there's either some sort of emotional, like intimate components, like isolation, like you isolate her away from her friends and she knows what you're doing. Like if the, if there's a big secret I can tell guys, 
you know, the biggest secret about women is that women are not stupid, right? They are not stupid at all. They know exactly what you're doing. They might not break it down like we do and pick up, but they know what you're doing. So like when she agrees to leave with you, you know, into some corner away from her friends, she knows what you're doing. She's allowing you to essentially try to progress the pickup um, dependent upon your skills. And then there's um, beyond the emotional component, there's like the physical component. Like where do you touch her? And she allows you to touch her there. Um, how long? You know, like hugging can be a compliance test, a sexual compliance test. You go for a hug and she hugs you, but she sticks out her butt, right? That's like the totally, totally friend zone like hug where there is no sort of sexual contact. But she hugs you, you go for the hug, and she gives you a full body hug, right? That's a sexual compliance test. Or you hug, and she, she lets you hug her for like a full minute as opposed to like the polite five-second hug. Again, these are things that you're kind of on the lookout for. She does it, and she does it even more. That means there is a greater chance of sexual success. Or I'll do something like um, a seated high five. Again, it's kind of difficult to really envision over over the audio, but let's say you're sitting side by side with her and you you go for a high five. Um, you use your 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 hand that's closest to her, not your opposite hand. And the reason you do that is she will high five you with her closest hand, and then you take her hand and then you put it on your knee, right? But then you lift your hand away. You don't keep her hand on your knee, right? You want to see if she keeps her hand there. She keeps her hands there. That's pretty sexual. She takes it away. Okay, it means you got a game more. And obviously, if she moves her hand up your thigh, that's a really good sign. Yeah, the more she does for you, the more better off you are. So she tries to give you a hand job. You're probably in. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I call that. I call it the handcock. So. <laughs> the guys on the team are laughing at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a great maneuver. It's a total like LMR destroyer. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Awesome. Um, okay, so I mean, let, let's talk a little bit about the next step. So you have begun to get sexual compliance. You put the hand on the leg, whatever. She leaves it there. You feel like things are definitely moving, moving sexual, and that's something you, you can kind of be aware of, right? Like you notice you touch her for three, four, five seconds. The next time you touch her for seven, eight seconds, like you've kind of made some progress, right? Um, she's getting more comfortable with your touch, assuming that she's not like tensing up or pulling away, what have you. Yeah, that's the point of sexual compliance is. You know, I can touch her, but I want to, if I'm still at the point where I'm not unsure, I, I'm going to do sexual compliance so that I, I am for sure. So, you know, how long she touches me is, I think, a stronger indicator than me touching her, right? It makes sense. So, okay, let, let's say that she's touching you and uh, you feel like things are going well. You go for the kiss. Do you have kind of a strategy of going for the kiss? Yeah, yeah. Um, my go-to, what I teach my students is what I call the ABC kiss. And basically, you if things are going good, you've done all these kind of compliance tests and you're up to the sexual compliance test. And I will point to my left cheek and I'll say, kiss me here. And she'll kiss me on the cheek, right? And then I'll point to my other cheek and I'll say, kiss me here, right? And she kisses that. And then I'll point to my lips and say, kiss me here. So that's like A, B, and C. And D comes later, right? And so it's a compliance. All that is little compliance. And if I've done everything right, she'll kiss me on the lips. You're doing a lot of things that I like. One is I can already see where this is going. You have this, this goal that you're trying to get to, 
right? In this case, it might be sex or maybe it's a relationship or whatever, but you have this clear goal, you have this clear intention and you're starting somewhere. Like you start off by introducing yourself, shaking her hand, whatever. And you have lots of kind of mini steps, your A, B, C, D, E, F for taking somebody through each of these different elements or phases. Yeah. Phases is probably is definitely a better word. Each of these different phases or steps towards your kind of desired outcome. That's essentially what you're describing. Okay. So you guys have started kind of making things out. Uh, I know a lot of guys, even when they get to this phase, like they start to get better, they get to this phase, they can kiss a girl in a, out in a, at a party in a bar, maybe even on the street. So what is next? Well, at this point, um, this is where we get to E, the uh, evaluate and the extract. This is all about dealing with logistics and what you want with the girl. And, you know, I always tell guys, like, think with your big brain, not your little brain, right? Because I know you're getting turned on, but um, you've got to plan two steps forward because she's not going to be planning anything. So you have to start planning. You know, first you have to decide, do I want to take her home? Because if this is the future mother or child or someone you could, you know, someone that you can see being with for a very long time, you, you might not want to try to finger bang her in the club, right? You might not want to try to take her home on the first night. Because then what will happen is you'll get buyer's remorse. Um, one of my instructors out in New York, he, he went direct on this girl and he kissed her and he got her number, but he didn't try to progress it any further than that. And even though he could have, um, he chose not to. And he did that because as he was talking to her, he felt like this was someone that he could be with over the long term. And that ended up becoming his future wife, like whose wedding I officiated. And, you know, just simply because you're making out doesn't mean like, oh, I'm, I need to sleep with her. Kind of like decide, again, thinking with your big brain, not for your little brain, right? And then, you know, if you decide, okay, I'm going to take her home, you've got to start planning out your logistics because beginners think what to say, the average think how to say it, experts think where, all right? Where do I take her? Where do I physically take her? Where do I emotionally take her? So... You know, like you're saying, if you if you can't move a girl from the bar to like the couch and then from the couch to the patio and the patio to your car, like how are you going to take her home, you know, where you live like miles away? So it's a process and, and you want to be able to have every element in place, whether you have a car or a taxi or your your home is set up where it's girl friendly, you know, your bathroom is clean, you have condoms, you have you know, mood music and everything like that. You want to plan for logistics because there is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world more painful, more painful than rejection, more painful than anything. And I've experienced this a couple times. The most painful thing in the world is knowing you could have gotten her. Like she wanted to have sex with you. She wanted to, you know, do just do all types of nasty stuff with you all night long. But you messed it up because you didn't have condoms or you didn't control your logistics or you didn't have a place to take her. Like she was ready, but you fucked it up, right? There's nothing worse than that in the world. So once you're up to that point, you start to realize that it's logistics. That's where the boys are separated from the men. One thing I do want to say for the people who are listening here, if you get in a situation where you don't have condoms and you are really in control or leading the seduction, just go down and buy some condoms with her. 
It's, it's not really, <laughs> it's not really that big deal. I mean, I've told stories where I'm like, oh yeah. So like after I left, uh, the bar, we went by and we went to Dwayne Reed and we got some condoms and they're like, you did what? And, uh, I, I remember one girl I dated, I literally went home. I realized I didn't have condoms. We were about to have sex. I made her get dressed, come with me, <laughs> walk half a mile to the store at three in the morning, get condoms. <laughs> the guys are laughing at me because they know this is true. <laughs> so yeah, I I actually, <laughs> no, the way I lost for my virginity was to that same blonde girl in college. Yeah. Right. And so she's at my dorm room, and I've got no condoms because I never expected to get that far. So I'm like, um, wait here. And I ran to the 7 Eleven, and I ran back hoping against hope that she would still be there in bed. And then she's still there. I'm like, oh, my God, this is finally going to happen. I get to put on my first condom. I love it. It's like, it reminds me of that scene in American Pie where anyone has ever seen American Pie where the guy like is filming this girl on his bed and he runs over to his friend's house and is watching it live stream and then she starts masturbating and the guy's like what are you doing you need to go back there now he's running back to his house it's it's awesome man um it's it's funny because for a lot of guys who are learning this stuff you're gonna go through some awkward situations you're gonna go through some kind of like funny crazy silly adventures that's just part of figuring this stuff out absolutely and, and, absolutely and we've talked about a few of them but um there's so it's so much just a part of what it is to kind of become a man and find yourself and and develop uh like assertiveness and your sexuality you are going to make mistakes you're going to do silly things but when they happen uh, most of the time they are forgivable the girls are think they're just as silly as as you'll think them um but don't kind of freeze up and, and tighten up and give up when you get in those situations. You got to persevere. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing with sex, you know, like sex is like such an awkward act. If you think about it, yeah. it's like, you know, you know, it's all sweaty and, and like, like what limb fits here and like smells and, and substances it's, you know, it, it's just awkward and it's, part of the joy of just being human and, and trying to connect with another human being, there is like nothing that ever happens like so smoothly, right? The movies are a movie for a reason. Real life is a lot messier than that. Uh, no, it's so true. I remember like when I first started becoming sexually active, I literally thought every girl I had sex with was going to get pregnant, like through the condom. <laughs> <laughs> Your sperm is that powerful. Yeah, like for sure. Like I it was definitely certain that I had superpower sperm, but um, <laughs> it's just funny, man. But this is just part of this normal part of what it is to be a kind of man and go through life. So I think there's just like some really great, some great stuff here. Some of the other things like you kind of talk about, you talk a lot about in addition to body language and eye contact and kind of what to say, all these kind of ABCs. I don't know if this is another letter, but you talk a lot about our kind of fashion, first impressions, things that guys can do. What are some common mistakes that guys make? Yeah, yeah. What I see with, with my students is typically twofold. One is it's oversized and two they obsess about about brand too much so um with my students you know typically being a little bit on the smaller side they tend to have clothes that are very baggy where like you know, the shirts are too big their pants are too big or they lift up their pants all the way up to their belly button the most important thing i think about just suiting up is to get a good fit right i mean if you can imagine, if you look at your shirt, whatever shirt you're wearing right now, there's this line on the shoulder. It's called like the break. And that line, that, that thread, if you look at your, your shirt, that's supposed to fall on where you bend up and down your shoulder. 
a lot of guys will that break will be over their shoulder, right? It'll drift past it by an inch or two inch. You want that on the shoulder where you bend it. And that's an easy way to tell if you've got like something that fits well. So that's the first thing I tell them. Like have something that fits and it fits well. Don't go for baggy size. Um, I know like my mom, and to this day, my mom will buy me clothes that are two sizes too big as if I was still like a kid. My mom she does was, my mom does too. Yeah. It's like, oh, you'll grow into it. Like, no, I won't. I'm like full size mom. Right. So always get it fit. And I also get universally like my clothes tailored because I have to because you know being five foot five clothes aren't really designed to my size so I always mentally budget like 20 40 bucks to get like you know the uh the sleeves hemmed or maybe it taken in to fit my overall body uh I but I always do that you know and it's very important because you can turn like a hundred dollar blazer into like uh, it's just something that looks way more expensive. You can turn any outfit into something that looks more put together, more attractive, just with a good fit. A lot of guys don't realize that women are biologically designed to be attracted to your guys' bodies. So you guys might think that you are too skinny. You might think that you're a little heavy. Maybe you think that you're short. But there's like in the same way that you guys see girls that you're like, oh, I like skinnier girls or I like girls who a lot of got a little bit more whatever in the trunk. You like girls who are girls are the same way. So if you wear clothes that fit your body, you not only do you look better and you convey all these kind of really important elements, but you're going to attract the type of women who are going to be attracted to to your body and they will be. It's, it's just that they're biologically predisposed to. Do you guys talk much about coloring? Yeah. Um, when it comes to coloration, uh, you want something that draws the eye. Uh, I think the human eye is drawn to one thing. So when you have an outfit, you should do something like, you know, that might be on the bright side, whether it's red or white, you know, especially if it's in like a club setting. Um, but you don't want too much. So if you have like a bright tie, I wouldn't go with like another bright like blazer or bright pants. But if you have like bright pants, you know, the other elements can be subdued. So you want to have one element that, that really attracts your eye and everything else supports it. I think that uh, I was reading like biologically from an evolutionary point of view, the female eye um, picks up colors more, especially the colors of red, green, and beige, right? That comes from being able to um, pick berries and, and, and crops as well as being able to tell if like your child is healthy. And um, red is obviously something that, that draws your eye, especially at night. So I always like to throw in a little bit of red. That's fascinating. I, I actually read this article a few years ago, and it was something about the receptors in the eyes. I, I don't remember exactly, and somebody's probably going to correct me as listening to this podcast. There's something in the eye that determines how many colors that you can see. And from my memory, like it, there's like a magnitude of 10 for every one of these receptors or whatever. For a long time, we said, oh, well, women seem to be more sensitive to color. But it turns out in certain cases, they can see 10 times the amount of colors that a man can. So men can't even make the distinction between like these colors on the spectrum, like these frequencies of, of reflected light. But women, not only, I mean, that's just the way they see the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's like rods and cones. And um, women are more in tune with colors, while we men, again, from an evolutionary standpoint, we can detect motion, right? This is why we are so aware of motion that goes on in a peripheral vision, because this is, comes back from the days when we were hunters and gatherers, we'd have to be able to like hunt like that. 
you know, saber-toothed tiger on the plains. What is your opinion on the difference between going out in the day, going out at night? Do you think there is a difference or? There's essentially a lot more calibration that has to happen at nighttime. I mean, pardon me, at, during the daytime. Because at nighttime, you have a lot of distractions from the music, the alcohol, um, everything that's going on. During the day, it's just you, right? There's nothing to distract the girl from every single mistake that you might possibly make. And you, you need to slow down. You can't be as high energy. You don't keno as much, right? Because um, it, it would be a little bit invasive to go up to some, some girl that's staying on the street and all of a sudden keno turn her. So you wouldn't do that during the day. Uh, and you have a very limited time span because at night you have a reasonable expectation that she might stay at that bar for like an hour or maybe four hours. But during the day, she's probably there for only five minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes. She's there to do whatever errand that she's you know going to do and then go back home. So you have a limited time window and you have to push the interaction during the day you know, as far as you can, whether, yeah, whether that's getting her number or whatnot. But you can't simply assume that you're going to see her again, right? So whatever clothes that happens at the day, push it as far as it can go. Any tips for follow-up, text, call? Do you text? Do you call? Do you email? Do you show up at her house? <laughs> uh, I always send like a text right away. You know, women give up their phone numbers like it's candy on Halloween, right? So the entire idea of like waiting three days is very old. I mean, that might work for girls in their 40s, but... Girls in their 20s, they treat text messaging and their phone like instant messaging. That's all it is to them nowadays. So I will send um, something along the lines of, hey, pretty girl, it's JT. Be sure to save this number because it's the most important one you'll ever get, winky smiley face, right? And I'll usually get a ha-ha, you know, or okay, I saved it. And that way you can, you've started this sort of instant conversation. I know we're running low on time. Last question is friends. You get stuck in the dreaded friend zone. How do you get out? And also maybe I think it would be great if you talked a little bit about how to cultivate a circle of friends so that you can use that as a dating strategy. How to get out of the friend zone is is something that many, many, many men out there struggle with. And similar to like stereotypes as Asian men face, once you're in the friend zone, she looks at you in a certain paradigm, as a certain archetype, which is a friend. And in order to get out of that, you have to do something or a series of something that completely shine a new light on you, that she is forced to evaluate you as someone completely different, right? And um, the slow burn strategy of that, what I recommend is, you know, if she's in your social circle, you have to do something that's, that's, that makes her think of you differently. Like what I recommend is throwing, let's say, a party or some sort of gathering and she comes over and she sees that you have all these other women surrounding you and essentially hitting on you. And you have all these really cool guys that are following you, right? And you want to do things that are different that she never saw you in a situation before. Maybe it's not a party. Maybe you go, I don't know, surfboarding with her. You show her that you're such a great athletic surfboarder. Whatever you do, it should have an inherent um, importance or sexuality to it that you're no longer her like you know college buddy or whatever it is that she views you as um and social proof is a great way it just like having big boobs on a girl we're just as guys we, we're just gravitating to that we just find that attractive when women surround you it's instinctual women just find that guy who has all the women 
they, they always question like, what does he have? I want that, right? They always find that more attractive and it's instinctual. So anything with social proof is a great way to really show that you're different and for her to be like, hmm, what did I miss out on? JT, this is awesome. It's been absolutely incredible, but I, I need to wrap it up. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me here. And if you're listening and you want to learn more about JT, his programs, his coaching, all the different things that he does, I'm going to post some links on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so that you can find out about him more easily. Thank you so much again. It's dating coach Chris Lona here. Thank you so much for listening. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, Go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.